What would you do if I asked you to play basketball? Like professionally? No, just so I was like, hey, can you play basketball right now? Like, how many of you guys would, like, feel confident that you could shoot some hoops? Yeah, so I can see it. Now, what if I said, play basketball like Stephen Curry? Stephen C? I don't even know what I'm doing. You know what's really funny? You know what's really funny is the reference that I had was Shaq. But I decided to update it to make it more current. <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Well, now that the momentum of my illustration has been ruined, let's continue. What would you do if I asked you to look? Like, just look good. You'd be like, I can do that. But what if I said, look good like Chris Hemsworth? How would you feel then? If I said, sing, you guys could be like, yeah, I could do that. But what if I said, sing like Maddie Cunningham or Evan Wickham? Could you pull that off? What if I said, be cool like Jennifer Lawrence? I asked the, the girls in the group, I was like, who are your role models? And literally, like, the girls could not tell me anybody. They're like, we don't look up to anyone. We don't have role models. Um, apparent, according to Instagram, the only role models girls have are the Kardashians. But I digress. Um, why, why is it hard for us to jump on those directives? Like when someone says, do things the way those guys do. I think it's because we feel like we can't live up to the standards. So here's another one for you. Here's another one for you. <laughs> be humble. Be humble. If I said be humble, could you do it? Maybe. But what if I said be humble like Jesus? That's tough. But here's the thing. Shaq, I'm just going to stick with Shaq. Shaq can't give you his skills. Chris Hemsworth can't give you his looks. Maddie can't give you her voice. Jennifer Lawrence can't give you her effortless relatability. But Jesus can give you his spirit. Now, what's the goal of the Christian life? The goal of the Christian life is that by being with Jesus through the inner working of the spirit, what's true of Jesus becomes true of you. Is, is it true that Jesus is humble? So one of Jesus's goals for you is that it would become truth that you are humble as he is humble. Now, this is our final message in the seven deadly sins series. And we're going to be talking about pride. So what is pride? Well, pride is self-importance. It's living life in a self-centered way. And the original sin really is pride. Satan, as an angel, Lucifer in heaven, looked at God and he said, I can do that job better. I could be a better God than Yahweh. I could do things the way that he does in even a better way. And so he, in his pride, led the other angels astray and led humans like Adam and Eve. He tempted them with pride, saying, you too can be like God. Dorothy Sayers says this, It is the sin of trying to be like God. It is the sin that proclaims that man can produce out of his own wits and his own impulses and his own imagination the standards by which he lives that man is fitted to be his own God. It is pride that says I am the master of my own universe and at its head and heart is independence from God. It's man-centered. Now, honestly, I could teach a whole message on pride, but as I was thinking about this and I, I realized we all know what pride is. How many of you guys struggle with pride? Like we all do. It's something we all struggle with. Pride is honestly the default setting. Like when humans come from the factory, it's like our default setting. 
Pride is what keeps us from being authentic. Pride is what makes us stubborn. Pride is what makes us ignore advice. It makes us think that we know better. It makes us think we can handle our sin without help. And it makes us selfish and unkind. We all struggle with this. So instead of devoting an entire message to pride, I want to devote an entire message to the antidote to pride. And that is humility. The antidote to a life poisoned by pride is a life filled with humility, sacrifice, and service to others. And guys, if you want to be more like Jesus, humility is the key to being more like Jesus. Um, can uh, Scotty and Christian, can you guys grab some of these chairs? There's two chairs right there. Oh, we got them. They're, they're already there. I'm, see, I get so in the zone, I don't know what's going on. You guys are on it. So guys, if you want to be more like Jesus, welcome guys, by the way. Good to see you. The key, do you, you want to know the key to being more like Jesus? I do. The key is revving your motorcycle really loud. Just <laughs> revving it so everyone knows Damn. how cool you are. <laughs> the key is humility. So today we're going to look at three passages that will help us with some simple directives of how we can follow his example. I can't tell if they're like telling us to be quiet or if... They're just do. Oh, okay. I don't know anything about motorcycles. I thought they were like trying to send a message. Yeah. I can live with it if you can. I'm glad I brought the mic today, though. So we're going to look at three passages that talk about humility. The first is John 13. So let's read it. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper was ended, and so the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and he laid aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. I want you guys all to just close your eyes for a minute. Everyone close your eyes. Imagine feet. How many of you guys are uncomfortable with that image? Anybody? A few people? Yeah. So like some people are just plain grossed out by feet in general. You can open your eyes, Amanda. It's okay. <laughs> she was like hardcore, just going for it. But a lot of people are freaked out by feet and they make them uncomfortable. And just think about nasty feet. Like think about what the disciples were like. And you guys have heard this study a million times, but I'm going to say the same illustration everyone says. They're walking through Jerusalem and they've got these sandals on and think about it. There's animal droppings everywhere. Cow stuff, sheep stuff, camel stuff. There's dirt. There's nastiness. Like it's so bad that these guys probably have stuff, just nasty, nasty dirt and grime and animal droppings caked underneath their toenails. It's straight up offensive. Like if you're sitting down to a meal in a place where everyone's barefoot, like that is gross. It's offensive. And so Washing feet, that's a servant's job. Like back in those days, homes had servants, and when you'd come in the door, you would wash the feet. It's not a king's job. What does a king do? A king makes a speech, a king gives a command. But what does Jesus do? Jesus goes for the servant's job. The first thing we need to notice is that Jesus went for the lowest job. If you're taking notes for humility, Jesus goes for the lowest job. Now, that's so against our nature to go for the low job. We tend to show up to school with the thought, how can I make today a good day for me? As adults, we come to work with our eyes set on the corner office or the promotion or the raise. The lower job seems like a temporary prison that we need to break out of. Someone hands us a broom and we think, ha just you wait. Someday I'll be the one handing out the brooms. I don't know why that's a cool job to be the guy who hands out the brooms, but... <laughs> 
I guess it is. Um, I knew a guy once who, he was helping out around the church. He was a young guy, and uh, he basically um, was helping, and one of the pastors asked him, you know, hey, can you help us set up for a youth group event? Um, We need some water bottles transported to the youth room. And his response was, I can't do that right now. And the guys were like, dude, why can't you do it? And he's like, well, I'm planning this church that I'm going to plant. Like I've got this big vision for planting this church and I've got to sit here and write it down. I'm going to, and everyone was just kind of like, dude, you got to start low, man. You got to start low. You see, dreams and visions for the future are wonderful if they're from the Lord. But if your dreams and visions keep you from serving the practical needs of others, the reality is those dreams and visions are probably not coming from the Lord. They're coming from you. They're coming from a place of pride. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And they join forces, but none will go unpunished. Guys, I don't know about you, but I have a prideful heart. And I need a heart transplant because so often I'm shooting for the big things when God wants me to be faithful to the little things. The next thing to notice about this story is that Jesus did what no one expected him to do. Now, let's be honest. Who should have been washing the disciples' feet? The disciples. Like, I can imagine the disciples looking at Peter and being like, all right, dude, this is obviously your job. This is a chance to redeem yourself for all the stupid, dumb things you're constantly saying. And instead of jumping to serve, Peter just makes things weird. Peter gets up in the store and he says, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, Peter, listen, if I don't wash your feet, then you can't have any part with me. And then Peter's like, oh, shoot. Well, Jesus, you can wash my feet. In fact, give me a bath. Sponge me down, Lord, is what he says. And Jesus is just like, whoa, Peter, no, weird. Um, the point I'm trying to make is this, this was shocking. Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples know this. Like He's, he's the king. He, he's the leader. And he gets up to wash the feet. How bad do you think the disciples felt? I mean, I'm sure when they got there, they looked at everyone's feet. They probably smelled it. It smelled horrible. And and they knew that the feet needed washing and there's no servant. And so I'm sure this is what I do uh, when I see a task that needs to be done. And maybe you're this way with your siblings. You look around, you think, well, he should do it. (laughs) That's obviously her job. They were probably thinking, well, Peter should do it. James should do it. Thomas should do it. But I doubt he will. Church joke. Thank you. Thanks, France. Thomas the Doubter. Guys, this is self-centeredness because it recognizes that something needs to be done, but it's not willing to be the one to do it. Proverbs 21.4 says a haughty look. That's not like, oh, look at that haughty. Uh, it's like a prideful look. A haughty look, <laughs> a proud heart, and the work of the wicked are sin. Haughty look, looking down on others, thinking they're below me. A proud heart that says, I am better, therefore I shouldn't have to do this job. The work of the wicked is sin in God's eyes. This verse in Proverbs is saying, if you look down on others and think high of yourself, your work won't be blessed. Now, Jesus is the opposite. Jesus gets up and he removes his outer garment. Now, do do you think that the disciples were bummed? Like they looked to Jesus with such high honor. I don't think anyone in that circle wanted Jesus to be the one to do it. I think they all wanted one another to do it. And so when Jesus stands up, they're probably like, dude, look what, look what you did, Peter. Like, now Jesus is getting up. Like this, He shouldn't be doing this. This should have been your job. Like they're freaking out. But what's Jesus's attitude? Is Jesus like, if none of you guys are going to do it, then I guess I have to. No, Jesus rejoiced in doing what no one expected him to do. Jesus lives for that kind of thing. He lives for the unexpected. He lives for being the king that gets on his knees to serve others. He loves that kind of stuff. It gives him joy to serve. Guys, we need that heart because so often our attitude to serving is, well, if it's not my job, it's not my problem. Um, Work ethic. 
can be a huge problem. It was for me. Still is sometimes. I remember when I was a janitor at Calvary, me and my friends, uh, who were also janitors at the school at the time, we like were grossly underpaid. We they they paid us below minimum wage at the time. Uh, super sketchy, um, but uh, they did. And it, we because we were getting paid so low, we felt like you know, well, if they're going to pay us little, like we're not going to do a good job. And even if they did pay us a lot at the time, we were 16 years old, we probably wouldn't have done a good job anyway. But we would go up to the youth room and we'd spend like two hours in there. But 10 minutes would be vacuuming, and like the other two hours would be like watching YouTube videos. And in our minds, we're, we're like, this is totally fine to be clocked in and doing this. It was bad work ethic. It wasn't respect for others or for the Lord. You know, when I became the graphics designer at the church, my work ethic was still pretty bad. I was 17. Um, I started interning. Had a little broom closet that I worked out of. And so my thought was, because they shoved me in this closet, like, you know, I'm not like a real employee, so I don't have to really work. So I would do the bare minimum, honestly. And maybe this is you when it comes to chores or school or maybe your job. But I would do the bare minimum that anyone asked me to do. They would come to me and they'd say, make this flyer. I would make the flyer. And then once the flyer was done, I was like, well, then I'm done. Like, I'll just stay clocked in with my feet on the desk and I'll go on the internet and read on allmusic.com reviews of my favorite albums. And I'll just go on YouTube and hang out. And, and, and that was kind of what I did. And one day my boss walked in and he opens up the door. Steve Henschel opens up the door and my feet are on the desk and I nearly fell out of my chair. And he was just like, what, 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 that's how he, he's like, hey, what, 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 like that's, if you know Steve, that's what he sounds like. He was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, well, I was, thought I was done for the day. I made my flyer. And he's like, there's work to be done. There's things that, you know, you could clean the bathrooms. You can help with other things. Maybe someone else needs a flyer done. You should be going to other people on staff and asking them, how can I help? And I was like, uh, and he's like, listen, this is what he told me. You're clocked in. You're getting paid. And you know where your money comes from? You work at a church. This is people in the church who tithe their money. That's where the money comes from. And it blew me away. I was just, I didn't, I honestly had never even thought of that. And he's like, you're dishonoring the Lord by working this way. And it just, it shook me. And it's been like this thing that stuck with me to this day. It's something where the Lord needed to teach me. And he still teaches me all the time that my work is valuable to him and to others. And so I should do it with all my heart, as the Bible says. Another lesson I had to learn was the idea of doing something that's not your job. I remember when I was a counselor in youth group, one day we were doing this game where there was like donuts on a string and junior high kids would have to like crowd around the donuts and like eat them off the string. Super fun, super messy. And by the end of it, there was a ton of donuts and string all over the ground and someone had broken this like glass figurine and so there's glass over the ground. And I remember honestly distinctly looking at, this is back when like Scotty and Aaron were in junior high. Um, I distinctly looked at that mess and like was like, someone will clean that up. And I left and I was like, I'm a junior high counselor. My job is to hang out with kids, not to clean up messes. <laughs> and I went and left. And then I came back out to check on something and I saw on the ground was Brian Barrett, who was a youth leader at the time, who'd been like the guy who'd been around the longest, just this awesome guy I looked up to. And he was on the ground with a broom and a brush pan, sweeping it up. And I, no one had asked him to do that. He just saw it and he was like, that's my job because I'm a servant. And I realized that I don't want to be me. I want to be that guy. I want to be the servant who looks at things and says, that's my job. But it's so not my nature and it's so not yours. We're prideful people. The next thing to notice is that Jesus serves those who don't even deserve it. I mean, consider how he must have been with Judas. Like, just imagine, you know, Jesus is like there and he's like massaging Judas's feet and like wiping them with a towel. And he's looking at him at the face. And I would be like, so Judas, anything you want to say to me? Do your thoughts betray you, Judas? Be careful not to choke on your aspirations. Darth Vader joke. I get it. Thank you. 
No. Jesus had nothing but love for people who would betray them. Jesus was sitting there washing Judas's feet and loving every second of it, loving Judas every second of it. Imagine that. Imagine if you knew there was a girl at school who was going to gossip about you and ruin your reputation in front of the whole school. Would you be giving her a back rub if you knew that? Imagine if you knew that there was a dude who's going to get you kicked off the team and disgraced in front of the whole school. Would you be high-fiving that guy and helping him fix up his car? No, you'd be like, I, I hate this person. And yet Jesus is loving, so loving. Do you guys only serve those you feel deserve your service? I remember one time uh, I was a 17-year-old counselor at a youth camp, and uh, uh, the youth pastor at the time, Trevor, uh, most of you guys know Trevor, he would um, have at the last night of camp, all the pastors would go up to the stage and pray with the kids. But one of the things that he had people do was he had the counselors hang out in the back and he would tell us like, hey, there's always kids who are too scared to walk up. So I want you guys to hang out in the back for those kids who are like too scared to come forward to pray. And I love that. Like, I love praying with people. I just, I'm the kind of person where like, if someone wants to pray or like talk about Jesus or just grow in the Lord, I like, I'm just like, that's where I feel like I come alive as, as a Christian and as a servant of the Lord. I love like helping people with their spiritual journey. So I was stoked. I'm like, yes, I will pray with people. Like, that's so awesome. Thank you for asking me. And, and I was stoked. And I was getting ready to pray. And so Phil Wickham gets on the stage, and the lights come down, and the music's playing. Kids are starting to go forward. And then kids are starting to walk towards me to pray. And the first kid in line was this kid named Dana. And um, a lot of you guys remember Dana, right? Yeah. Just awesome guy. Like, if Chris Farley was a junior high kid, like, it was Dana. Like, just this little sixth grade guy. Floppy brown hair, or bl- blonde hair, and just like just this ball of energy. And Dana comes up and he's like, Aaron, I need your help. And I'm like, yes, let's pray, brother. And he's like, I need you to take me to the infirmary. And I was like, what? The infirmary? This is prayer time, Dana. I'll just pray for you. And then your headache will go away. And he's like, no, I need to go to the infirmary. I was like, dude, they're not going to do anything for you at the infirmary. He starts crying. He starts bawling. He's like, take me to the infirmary, pastor. Or not pastor, counselor Aaron. And I'm just like, I was so frustrated because I was like, this is not what I want to be doing. I want to be praying with people, not taking this guy to the infirmary. They're not going to do anything for him. So I'm like, oh, fine. So I start taking him to the infirmary and we're walking across the bridge, you know, that bridge from the chapel to the basketball court. And um, Dana's like crying. He's just like, "Ah." I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to go in the infirmary. It's going to be all right. He's like, "Ah." I'm like, it's okay. And he looks at me and he's like, I like Pokemon. There was this one time I saw this Pokemon. And he like completely snaps out of his crying. And I'm like, what? Like, I should be in there praying. Like, you're, you faker. Like, why are you, what are you doing? Like, this is ridiculous. I was so frustrated at him. And God spoke to me in that moment. And God was like, Aaron, why don't you feel like he deserves your attention right now? Like, why don't you feel like he deserves your love right now? And I was like, well, because he doesn't. And the Lord spoke to me and he's like, do you? You're a sinner. Like, do you deserve my love? Do you deserve my attention? And God spoke to me so clearly about my own wicked heart. And I realized that none of us deserve God's love. And sometimes God sends people in our life where you're going to feel like this person does not deserve my love or attention right now. But God sends those people precisely to teach you the heart of being a servant. None of us deserve love because all of us sin. What we deserve is death. The wages of sin is death. Guys, when we sin, we exercise our pride Every time you sin, you're saying that I, in this moment, declare myself my own God. Sin is missing the mark. And if you're self-centered, you're, you're always off-center. 
It's pride that says, I will sleep with whomever I want. I will consume as much as I want. I'll possess as much as I want. I can wear whatever I want, say whatever I want, post whatever I want. I deserve what they have. It's my will be done, not your will, Lord. And yet Jesus was the God who had every right to be prideful because he is the best person in the universe. And yet he humbled himself. He limited himself. Do you ever limit yourself as a Christ follower? Do you ever deny your flesh intentionally? I'm not talking about when your parents make you deny your flesh. I'm talking about when you are sitting there and you have an opportunity to sin and no one would know. It would just be between you and yourself and the Lord. And in that moment, you have a choice to say, no one's watching. There's no pressure. No one from church is here. My parents aren't here. I just have me and my temptation. Do you ever deny your flesh in those moments? The pride of the world is constantly preaching the message. It's our party. We can do what we want. Do you buy into that? Or like Jesus, do you lay aside your flesh and even your non-sinful liberties to better serve Christ and follow and, and help love others? Paul had a lot to say about Jesus's servanthood. In Philippians 2, turn to Philippians 2 if you have your Bibles or uh, flip over there in your uh, phone Bibles. But Philippians 2, he depicts Jesus as a high and humble king. Philippians 2 Verses five through nine says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name. The first thing I notice about that is that Jesus didn't use his position to his advantage. Think about it. He's God. You can't get a better position than that. I remember, you, how many of you guys know uh, my cousin, Tony? Yeah. yeah. So when Tony was little, I used to babysit him, which is a really funny image now because we're like the same height and like, yeah, he's like a fully grown man child now. But um, I used to babysit him and it, he would always want to play like action figures. And so we'd like play action figures and we, you know, we're both nerds. So we knew all the different powers that the action figures should have. So he'd have, you know, I'd have Batman, he'd have Green Lantern or something. And we'd be just playing with these guys. And then he would always, anytime I got the upper hand, because I'm older and smarter, so I'm coming up with more creative ways to defeat him. He would always go, uh, force field. Force field, I have force field. Like every time, anytime I was winning, he always was like, I have a force field. And it's like, how do you beat a force field? It was the ultimate advantage point. And I think that Jesus had the ultimate advantage point. Jesus had the ultimate force field in that he was God. Jesus was in the position to always win, to always earn, to always get, to always have glory and power and love and authority. And yet Jesus chose to lose. He chose to lose his position, his power, his invulnerability. He became a man, a man who bled, a man who got sick, who felt pain, sadness, and sorrow. He was the most famous name in all of heaven and earth, and he became a man with no reputation. Jesus had zero followers on Instagram when he first started out. No reputation. And that is so countercultural. In our world, the idea is, you use your position to get a better position. That is the way of the world. 
there's a struggle for power. And so you have to step over others. I, I worked at a private Christian school. You would not believe some of the crazy politics that went into deciding which soprano got to sing the choir solo. It was in, insane sometimes. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. It was this idea of crushing your enemies. That's, that's what the world teaches us. Crush your enemies, whether it's on the school ground or whether it's on the battlefield. And think about it. We're not taught to love our enemies because from the very early age, we're bred with this idea that enemies are to be crushed. Think about it. When you play Mario, is there a button to hug a Goomba? No, there's only a button to smash him to smithereens, to stomp on his head until he dies. That is all we have. And so it's important for all of us to understand whether you guys end up working at a church one day or not, because every Christian is called to ministry. That doesn't mean you all work at a church, but it does mean whatever your career path is, you're called to serve the Lord. Whether you work at a church one day or not, every Christian is called to ministry to serve God. And whether you become church employees or whether you work in the world, your calling is to serve God and others. If you as a Christ follower want to serve God in a church job, but can't get one, so you end up as a barista at Starbucks or a bagger at Albertsons, guess what? You're not off the hook because you're still called to serve God and others. This is why you need to understand Christians don't work. We minister. Christians don't work. We minister. Seriously, get that idea in your head, no matter what your job is. You don't work. If you're a follower of Christ, you minister to God, to the people at your office, to the people at your school, to the people on your sports team. You don't work the way people in the world do. You minister to the people around you and to the Lord. And as a minister, because you're all ministers, you all do ministry, whether you know it or not, you all do ministry, you need to realize that ministry is never a ladder. In ministry, we never serve in hopes that it'll unlock the next level or the next opportunity. This happens all the time at churches. People get jobs and they say, I'm going to be in the children's ministry so then I can become the junior high pastor and then the high school pastor and the college pastor and now I'm the senior pastor. Ha ha ha. Like that, that's, that's not the way it works. And in the same way, it doesn't work that way with secular jobs if you're a Christian. You, you are not in it to advance to the highest level. If God gives that to you, then that's what he gives you. But we should never have a blind, just passion for money and power and possession. We should always be able to say, God, where do you want me to serve in this company I'm in? In this little business I started, in this school I'm in right now, where do you want me to serve? Not what are my aspirations? What are my goals? What I'm going to take over this whole thing. No, like what, what is God calling you to? Ministry is not about advancing our own agenda. It's about being where God has planted you and digging your roots deep down into it. Rooting yourself in service doesn't advance your agenda, but it will advance the kingdom of God. We live in an age of entitlement that says, if I don't get a high paying job that is exactly what I've always dreamed of, I've failed. It's an idea of I deserve success. What if we were more like Edward Kimball? He was a man who was so content to just be where God planted him, to live in a small town and sell shoes. But in that shoe store, he led so many people to Christ, including one of the people who was later responsible for leading Billy Graham to the Lord. What about John the Baptist? A guy who literally was the most popular preacher in Israel at the time. And yet when Jesus came on the scene, his idea was, I've got to get smaller so that Jesus can increase. I've got to fade out of view so that people look at Jesus and see him. Now, listen, guys, this is going to play out differently for all of you. You all are in different places. Some of you guys, how many of you guys work? Any of you guys work? How many of you guys are in school? Okay. So you're all in different places. How many of you guys are going to college that you know for sure? Yeah. Okay. So you're all in different places and you're in a stage in your life where there are new things coming into your life, new jobs, new experiences, new things. 
What you need to know is this plays out differently for everyone. There's no formula. The only formula really is just obedience. Just obey where God leads you. For some people, you're called to move up in advance. No, I'm serious. Like for some of you guys, like you're called to start out on the football team and then become the quarterback. You're start. You're called to start out as a cheerleader and then become cheer captain. You're called to start as the guy sweeping the broom in the company and then God will lead you to something higher. That's his calling for you. And that's something he'll reveal to you over time. For others though, God will lead you to hop around to many different things over the years. I mean, for me, I mean, I, I've been tons of different things. I've been a janitor. I've been a warehouse employee, a graphics designer, a bubblegum salesman, um, a brand engineer, a photographer, a school teacher, a web designer, a videographer, a vice president of a startup company that failed terribly, a documentary filmmaker, and a youth pastor. And that's just, uh, that's just part of the list. There's more. Some of you guys may be called to do missions work at one church for a year, and then the next you're moving on to something else, kind of like the Apostle Paul. Some of you guys might be called to go to Australia and help with YWAM for a little bit and then do something else, and you're like, that throws off all my college plans. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But listen, in the season of life you're in right now, you can have big dreams, but maybe in this season, God is calling you to be a dishwasher. Maybe God is calling you to be a janitor or a barista for the next six years and volunteer as a junior high counselor at this church or somewhere else or children's ministry nursery worker, running a small group, being a a children's ministry volunteer, no title, no big paycheck. Now, just hearing that for some of you guys, I mean, I know for me, it kind of grinds against our idea of pride because we want things to go our way. We want to have a big position. We want to make a lot of money. We want to have our name up in lights. Did you guys know that for your generation and for my generation, the millennial generation, um, one of the biggest things that drives our generation is a quest for fame. It's this idea of I want more. Like for some people, it's like I really want fame. Like it's like I want to get on YouTube and put up my songs up there or be an internet personality or a Vine star. Vine died, but back when it was around, that kind of thing. Or for some of us, it's just like I need more likes on Instagram. I need more followers. I'm going to go get an app where I pay money to buy fake followers so I look better than I really am. That kind of stuff happens all the time. I actually did that for the youth group once in junior high. I was like, we need more followers, and I'm ashamed to admit it. (laughs) So um, if that's the case, here's the question. If that's the case, if God were to say to you, I'm going to keep you in a low, humble position for a long time, like 10 years, 10 years as a janitor, 10 years as a barista, 10 years as a waitress. If God were to say that to you, like if God were to come to you right now and say, here's your next 10 years, following me, serving me, but you're working at a very low paying job, would you be willing to do that? Or would that be a deal breaker for you and the Lord? Like if you right now have huge plans and aspirations of college and career, and Jesus came to you and said specifically, like, I want you to move to Africa and live in a hut and like give medicine to villagers. I want you to literally just don't go to college and stay at your church because I've got something for you to do. Like, that's what happened to me. Like, God was like, don't move anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Like, don't go to college. Just stay in Vista. I've got things for you. And like the whole time, I was like, that's really, like, I want to go to film school and do all these things. It's tough. It's tough to obey. But if we, listen, listen, this is what God has shown me. If I can't say, Lord, if you are going to put me in a low level position for years and I will serve my heart out for you in that position, as long as you have me there, then if that's me, I really shouldn't be pursuing ministry, but instead pursuing a new heart that's ready for ministry. And that's what I'd say to all of us. If we're not willing to say, God, 
have your way with me. Whatever you want me to do, if you want me to become the next 18-year-old CEO of the new startup company that takes over the tech Silicon Valley industry, then I'll do that. But if God's like, I want you to literally just hang out in your town and do this low-level job because I've got something cool for you in the store, but it's going to take time. If we're not willing to just obey and do whatever God tells us to do, then we probably shouldn't be pursuing ministry. We should be pursuing a heart that's ready for ministry, a heart change. Proverbs 29, 23 says, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Satan was cast out of heaven. His pride brought him so low, but Jesus was so humble and now everyone knows his name. E. Stanley Jones says this, if we center ourselves on ourselves, we won't like ourselves. The penalty is to live with a self you can't live with. Listen, I don't believe that we who follow Christ should ever consider ourselves above anything. I feel like we should never be like, that's not my job. I can't do that. Like that's, I'm better than that. We should never be saying that because our Lord wasn't. Jesus never said that. Jesus was never above foot washing. He was never above death on a cross. He was never above like, you know, mom says, help me. Oh, I'm doing homework right now. I'm writing my paper. I'm doing my thing. But your mom's like, no, I really need your help right now. I really need your help. Please, please, son, please, daughter, can you help me? And those moments are so tough because we're just wrapped up in our own world. And yet Jesus was not above death on a cross. We should never let the words come out of our mouth or run through our head. I deserve whatever you want. Like think about what you want. Visualize it right now. What do you want in life? We should never think I deserve this because I graduated Bible college because I was the valedictorian at high school or the captain of the football or cheer team or because my dad's a pastor or because I've been here the longest. I've earned it. That was my problem. When I was a volunteer in youth group, I had been around for like six years. I started volunteering when I was 16 and I was getting into my early 20s and I wanted to be the assistant uh, youth pastor at our church so bad. So bad. I, I, I went and I was looking at Trevor, this guy who I loved and respected. And, and I was looking about how he needed an assistant. He needed one so bad. He was doing all the work himself. And I went to my church and I was like, make me the assistant. I went to my dad and I went to the board and I was like, make me the assistant. I would do such a good job. And their response was, actually, we can't hire you because we need a graphics designer and we can't find anyone who's as cheap as you. So you've got to stay in your graphics design position. I'm sorry. And I was so frustrated. I was like, oh, that's so frustrating. Like, like God, like these, they're in sin. Like they should realize I'm perfect for this. Like I was in sin. I was totally in sin being prideful because God had me there for a reason. Like God had me there at the church because the church needed a graphics designer. And it was a blessing to the church that they had someone who was as cheap as me. Um, and, you know, I remember I was talking to Jeremy King. And uh, Jeremy King was our high school pastor at the time. And I was kind of venting to him. And I was like, oh, I want to be the assistant. I'd be so good. And, and he just looked at me. and He's like, if you were the assistant, what would you do? And I was like, well, I, I would be awesome. I would show up early. I'd be on time. I would set up things. I, I would just disciple kids. And I would just go for it. And I, I, just, I would be the best assistant. And he was like, why don't you just do that, man? It's on your heart. Like, why not just do it without the title or the paycheck? Like, that's what God's calling you to. So be an assistant without actually being an assistant. And it blew my mind. I was like, whoa, stepping into God's calling without titles and paychecks. That's awesome. And it changed my heart so much. And I tried to be a good help to Trevor in those days. And the crazy thing is I didn't end up being an assistant. I ended up just going straight into becoming the pastor when he left, which is something I did not expect at all. I thought I would be an assistant to someone before I became a pastor. 
But I realize now that if God hadn't changed my heart, I probably wouldn't have gotten this job because I would have been so prideful. I probably would have moved somewhere. I probably would have just been like, whatever, God, I'm not waiting for you to give me an opportunity. I'm going to go find my own way. And I'm so glad that God humbled me and showed me what a punk I am and how prideful I was. Seriously, I could have, I could have missed out on this. I could have missed out on all the friendships and all of the relationships we've had over the years and just being, uh, you guys, I love you guys. I'm getting all emotional. I don't know why. Um, You guys are like my family. I'm so glad that God didn't let me run away somewhere. Tim Keller says this, the human soul wants something so big that if all the empires in the world were poured into it, it still wouldn't satisfy. That's so true. The biggest movies and music stars of our day, how many of them have checked into rehab? How many of them write songs about how they are constantly chasing sex and drugs and alcohol and money and fame? They're not content. It eats at them. The hunger and desire for more. Our pride always says, I need more. I want more. I agree with Keller. He he says, again, the human soul wants something so big that if all the empires of the world were poured into it, it would not satisfy. That's so true because this thing we're searching for that's so big is God himself. Yet all that we pour in from the world will only drain us from God. Do you realize that all the things we pour in from the world that try to fill that space in our heart, it will only drain us of our God, what we need. This is what you have to understand. If you choose yourself over God, you lose yourself. You lose who you're always supposed to be. Luke 17, 33 says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. The next thing I want you to notice is that Jesus placed a high value on servanthood and humility. Here's the reality. Some of you guys, God's going to bless you and like fast track you to success. Like you're just going to take off and make a ton of money. That's not bad. That there's nothing sinful about making a ton of money and being successful in the world's eyes. Seriously, it's what you do with your money. We, we already talked about that in the greed study. Um, so I'll be some of you and I'll be like, hey, more power to you. When I'm like broke, I'll be calling you and saying, hey, want to buy me a burrito? Remember when I was your youth pastor? Like, hey, help me out. You're super rich right now. Haha. <laughs> like I'll be doing that. Absolutely. Be, pre- be prepared for those phone calls. But some of you guys are going to start out with low paying jobs, like busy work jobs, barista, cash register employee or cashier, <laughs> uh, drive through person, <laughs> an intern at a church or a worker at a grocery store. And you probably won't show up to work with an office or a good paycheck or a great job that like challenges your skills and pushes you to do life better. I know many churches, including my own, you know, one of the places many of you might end up if, if, if any of you grew up and wanted to intern at the church, you would probably end up starting out with janitorial and landscape and repairs. And there's even people here who started out there. I remember interning. And when I was the graphics intern, like I was the intern, I was assigned to graphics, but like I would get so many random jobs. And I was at the church and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm an intern. Like I'm going to study the Bible. And I ended up studying toilets. Like I ended up like getting to know the inside of toilets really well. And I was like, this isn't the Bible. This is gross. I will never clean a women's bathroom again as long as I live. It it is a nightmare. I'm sorry. Um, I remember staying up late every, not every night, but I would stay up late after everyone had left to fold bulletins. I'd be at the church until like one in the morning, like folding these bulletins and wondering like, when am I going to get to real work? Like, when am I going to get a real job? And yet Jesus was trying to show me this is real work because it brings glory to me. Listen, guys, dishes, doing dishes is real work that brings glory to the Lord. Making cookies is real work that brings glory to the Lord. Sweeping, laundry, homework, studying for your finals, helping your mom, mowing the lawn, reading a bedtime story to your sister. That is 
good, solid work that brings glory to the Lord because it's all good work if you do it unto the Lord, which is what the Bible tells us to do. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In another portion of scripture, Jesus says, if anyone wants to be great, if anyone wants to be great in my kingdom, he must first become the servant of all. Guys, we have to be okay, not just okay, we have to be excited about serving, excited. Think about the story of Joseph. This guy, he starts out, he's got it made. Like his dad loves him. His dad had a bunch of other brothers from different wives, but there was this one wife he loved the most, super weird, like Jewish customs back then, like not not the ideal. It's not God's plan for us to have multiple wives and like play favorites, but this is just the story. This guy had multiple wives and there was this one wife he loved the most and he always wanted a kid with her and she wasn't able to have a kid. And finally she had a kid named Joseph. And so the dad like plays favorites. He's like my baby boy, Joseph. And he gets some nice clothes. He gets some like cool stuff. And all the brothers hate him. They're like, what the heck? Like we've been around for like 20 years and here's this punk, this kid, Joseph, and dad loves him more. This, this, we hate this guy. And so what they do is they end up selling Joseph into slavery. And Joseph gets sent to Egypt and gets all of the hair waxed off of his body. Painful. That's not a pretty image. Like just bald eyebrow list. That's what they did in Egypt. They put makeup on you, painted on your eyebrows. So now he's this bald hairless freak in Egypt, washing people's dishes and mopping floors. If that were me, I'd be like, uh, God, we need to have a talk. Like this whole like following you thing is not working out. Like what the heck? I loved you and I kept all your commandments and now I'm this like I'm, I'm like a naked mole rat. This is like what the heck is going on. And you know what Joseph does? He doesn't do that. Joseph says, God, I know you're here. I know you love me. This isn't the best situation. <laughs> I'm in slavery. But you know what? I love you and so I'm gonna do all things unto you. I'm gonna be the best slave ever. I'm going to work my slave tail off. And he works so hard. He's like scrubbing those for and mopping and just, he is like the best servant ever. And what happens? The, the, the master promotes him. The guy who's the slave master promotes him. God blesses him. But then what happens? The wife of the master, she's got the hots for Joseph and she tries to sleep with him. He doesn't want anything to do with it. He runs away. So she accuses him of raping her. So now he's arrested and he's in jail. If I were a Joseph at that point, I'd be like, God, seriously, like what, like, do you hate me? Like, what the heck? Like, I'm going to see what Satan's got cooking because following you is not that great. Like, that's where I would be. But Joseph, his response is, okay, you know what? This is bad, but I'm going to follow God because he's good all the time. So I'm going to follow him. So he's like, okay, I'm in prison. I'm going to be the best prisoner of all time. So he is serving his tail off in prison. He's loving people. He's interpreting people's dreams. He's like, literally like the people in prison are like, dang, you're a good prisoner, man. We got to like promote you to like head prisoner. Like, I don't know what that looks like, but he ends up getting promoted out of prison. And now he's with the king of Egypt and the king wants him to interpret a dream. He interprets it. The king's mind is blown. He's like, dude, you should be my vice president. Like he goes from being a slave to in jail to like the Duke of Egypt, basically. It's insane. It's insane what God does when we're faithful. I remember uh, a lot of cool guys who've come through our church as interns, like Scotty and then Peter, Austin and Stephen. You know, when those guys came, you know, I'm sure they had big dreams from Bible college of what they'd be doing for ministry, but they got put into janitorial. But I love their hearts. I love watching these guys, Scotty, Peter, Austin, Stephen throughout the years because they worked hard. 
and they serve the Lord with, with awesome hearts and, and they scrub toilets and they clean floors, but they did it out of love for the Lord and, and God used them. And while they were there cleaning and doing those things, God gave them lots of ministry opportunities, things where they could teach, things where they could lead worship, ways that they could serve, ways that they could take our college group and just blow it up and make it awesome and kind of lay the foundation for what we have now. Like God uses servants while they're serving. It's awesome to see. And now we've got Scotty here doing great stuff. And, and Peter, Austin, and Stephen are all over at Jason's church. And, and now God has promoted them. And now they're doing even more awesome things than before, which is, which is so cool. I'm so proud of all of these guys. I'm so proud of them because they started with simple servants and obedience. Remember what scripture says, be faithful in the little things. Guys, we can't treat the church and ministry the way we treat the American corporate workplace. If you're a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't even treat the secular workplace the same way as believers do. In my notes, I accidentally wrote believers, like Justin Bieber fans. Here's our problem. We think if we work hard and put in time, then I deserve a raise and a promotion. But we have to get it in our heads that for a Christian, working, whether it's in the church or in the world, is different. Remember, we don't work, we minister. It's different than the way a non-believer works because we're not doing our work for a paycheck or a promotion or power. We're doing it for Christ. We do all things as unto the Lord. And, and, and now he might bless you with a raise or a promotion or a cushy job or make you the captain of the team or, or the valedictorian or whatever, but there's no guarantees. The only guarantee that we have is that we'll be rewarded with treasure in heaven, but also fullness and joy here on earth that comes with selfless, sacrificial serving. And that kind of serving is so rad. I can honestly say the impact that you make on people's lives is so much better and more precious than a paycheck. I'm so proud of our volunteers here in the youth group. We have people here who work full-time jobs and not only come to our Wednesday nights here, but also come at times to Friday night events. Um, there's a few of us here who are volunteers to not only serve here on Wednesdays, but also help at a skate ministry on Sunday nights. There's some of us here who not only help us on Wednesdays, but they also help us on Sundays. There's some of us here who not only help us on Wednesdays, but they, they run the uh, young adults group at our church on Mondays. I'm so proud of seeing our volunteers' devotion to Jesus. And some of them are having kids. We've got a few of our counselors having kids and taking breaks, but they're still committing to praying for all of you, thinking about you, loving you guys. Uh, these counselors, they serve and they ask for nothing in return. I've never had one of the volunteers come up and say, I demand this because I'm serving. No, they serve and ask for nothing in return. So I'm proud of all you guys. Ask yourself today, high school students, ask yourself this today. Am I serving and expecting God to give me what I want in return? Or am I just serving? If so, if you're, if you're serving, but you're asking God to give you something in return, it's, it's time to go to Jesus and ask for a heart transplant. And as we end, I just want to remind you, Jesus lived a life of complete obedience. He made himself nothing. On the cross, remember how they gambled for his robes? Well, I think it was actually a great loss for him to lose those robes in the first place, for him to even put on those robes in the first place. Because think about it. He was in heaven with heavenly robes and he came down to earth and he traded his heavenly robes for earthly clothes. Jesus is such the model of obedience. It's hard to obey. Do you guys remember uh, in Star Wars how hard it was for Anakin Skywalker to obey? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Anakin Skywalker? Okay, so half the people. Okay, so Anakin Skywalker, he was this young kid ripped off of Tatooine by Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
And they say to him, Anakin, you must hold back your feelings. It's not the Jedi way. As a Jedi, you're not allowed to have feelings. You're not allowed to feel anything. Like literally, like your, your, your parents die and like you're just supposed to take it. That was the life of a Jedi. Yoda would say, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. They say, don't feel, don't feel anything. Don't get mad. Don't fall in love with Natalie Portman or Karen Knightley. I'm not, I'm not sure. And on top, on, the, on top of all that, Anakin wanted this powerful position. He wanted to be a Jedi master, but he was told over and over again, Anakin, you're not ready. It was pride that led him to the dark side because he wasn't obedient and he wasn't content. Are you obedient? Are you content? Or like Ariel, do you look at all that God has given you and you say, who cares? No big deal. I want more. What if God calls you to a place where you have to serve him for no pay? Maybe you're here and you're an amazing worship leader. You're the next Maddie Cunningham or Phil Wickham. Maybe you're an incredible Bible teacher or a fantastic, fantastic youth leader or an insane children's ministry worker. That's probably not what you're looking for at a children's ministry worker like on the resume. Like, this person's insane. Okay, we're not going to pick you. What if you're a great football player or an amazing photographer or a skilled artist or a fantastic woodworker, a tremendous babysitter? I'm running out of adjectives. In your mind, you think, you know, the job should be lining up around the corner because I'm good at what I do. Our ministry opportunities should be flooding my doors. But God might say, you know what? I want you to volunteer your gifts without the promise of pay or take a low paying job instead of pursuing your dream career. I've met so many ministry workers who don't actually get paid by the church, like senior pastors who don't get paid. Pastors who volunteer in their main job is working at Home Depot or coffee shops. And honestly, those guys make me look like a wimp. Those guys are heroes. God has brought me to a place where I realized ministry is never about us or about me. I'm so replaceable. I used to, when I started out, I used to think that my ministry needed me and I called it that. I called it my ministry. It's not my ministry. This ministry doesn't need me. This ministry needs Jesus. I'm just one of the tools currently in his hands. What matters to a project, the craftsman or the hammer? Like how hard is it to get a new hammer if you lose it? It's not hard, but you can't replace a master craftsman. I look at my current job as a paid pastor and I I don't think, you know, I deserve this. I earned it. I've been here since I was 16. I don't think that. I I constantly, I'm saying, Lord, I don't deserve this. I did one semester of Bible college. I was distracted by how cute Brooklyn was and I was not the best volunteer. I was often late and undisciplined and it's only by God's grace that I get to do what I do. I know it's God's people who fund this whole youth group. It's people who pay their tithe money that lets us do this. And so every day I have to say, God, help me do what I do and be worthy of the calling you've given me. Help me to do good work. Right now we've got a guy at the church who I appreciate so much, this guy named Leif. He's our current intern. And I just appreciate his heart so much because he's so willing to do anything. He's just so willing to say, he'll show up and just say, what can I do? What can I clean? How can I serve? How can I help? He's not only for those reasons a great help, but he's a great friend because of that heart. Guys, as you get older, as you get older, I want to encourage you, don't think that God owes us anything, but instead realize that we owe everything to him. Don't live with a mindset of, it's all about me. Live with the mindset of God, whatever you have for me, you must increase, I must decrease. I remember I was working at Jason Duff's church while I also worked here. 
when I took the job as junior high pastor, there was another guy named Paul Prelly, uh, and I met him, and I found out he used to be a junior high pastor, and so I like came up with this idea. I was like, hey, Paul, what if we were both the junior high pastor? And he was like, okay, that sounds great. And so we went to the church, and we're like, hey, let's both be the pastor. And they're like, okay, we'll just take the money we were going to pay you, and we'll divide it in half and give him half and you half. And I was like, oh, can I take that back? No, I didn't say that. Um, but I didn't have any money at that point. And so God provided, and I ended up working at Jason Duff's church doing graphics. But then I got fired from Jason's church because Jason left, and this new guy came in, and he looked at me, and he was like, you live in California, but you're working for us? We have people in Texas who can work for us. You're fired. And at that point, I was like, God, what the heck? Like, why are you doing this to me? Like, I just lost money. And I was so frustrated. I was so upset. I was like, how am I going to provide for my wife? But you know what? I'm still here. God provided. He always provides. And so I'm going to end with this verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. I'm just going to end with that. Here's what that means. The goal is not as Christians, God wants us all to become rich. That's prosperity gospel. Some of you guys, like I said, will be rich and I'll be calling you for sandwich money. But God looks at our poverty. He looks at our poverty. Like pride is poverty, guys. When we're prideful, we're empty of the Lord. When we're full of ourselves, we're just full of crud. We're full of just ourselves and we're empty of what we need to be rich in. Jesus looks at us And he died on the cross so that we could be full of him, full of his life, full of his love, full of his humility. That's what we need. So I want to encourage all you guys and myself. I don't teach you anything I don't need to hear. I am a prideful mess. We need humility. Tonight, as we talk about this in small groups, let's just commit to the Lord that we're going to seek after humbleness. We're going to seek after that. We're going to say, God, help me to stop just saying that I'm so great or not saying it, but thinking it. God, help me to direct the way I do everything. School, friendships, relationships, dealing with my parents, work, social media. Help me to do everything with humility. Help me to do everything by trying to say, God, you need to increase and I need to decrease. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I just want to confess just my own pride. God, so often over the years, I've had so many moments where I thought I deserved better or that I knew better than you or that you didn't know what you were doing. And yet, God, you've humbled me so many times and showed me that you are what matters, not me. God, you and your plan and your heart for the world are what matters, not my dreams and visions for my own life. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that over and over again. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help us, Lord, not to, not to go to you and say, Lord, make my life better. Lord, help us to say, Jesus, let us make your kingdom better. Let us live our lives in a way where we're lined up with your vision, not trying to get you to line up with ours. God, there's so many people in this room who you are going to take them through a journey. Lord, that'll be humbling. Help them to be ready for that, God. When we go into those journeys with pride, it does not go well for us. Lord, teach us humility. Even tonight, Lord, reveal to each one of us ways that we can be more humble, ways that we can humble ourselves before you. God, we need your humility. Help us to serve like you. Help us to love like you. Give us your grace. Give us your love. In your name, amen.